all have an emptiness deep down inside. A longing to be connected, to be a part of something. Deep down in our souls, we all feel it. We remember a time when all was connected. Deep inside of this, our heart feels empty. Right at the moment when hope feels lost, a small glimpse of light pierces through the darkness. So we chase after it. by Jesus. Can you do that? Can you do that? You got the word in your mind on the count of three. You ready? Here you go. Ready? One, two, three. What's the word? Awesome. Hey, keep that word in mind. Let's give God some praise. Search the word for a meaning. I can't explain this feeling. All of our hearts are beating for something beautiful. I found you in the searching. Yeah, you were right there with me. You gave me a brand new story, and it's something beautiful. Now I can breathe. Now you sing. This is what it feels like to know you, to know you. This is what it feels like. Come on. Then count me in. You can count me in. Because you can count me in. Because you can count me in. You gave your life worth living. Gave me a song worth 
You guys sound great. You guys sound great. I need to catch my breath. Woo. We having fun? Hey, awesome. Hey, I just want to take a quick sec. Before we continue into worship, I want to remind everyone in this room, we've got prayer banners right up here. Uh, and these banners are just an op awesome opportunity uh, to remind not only yourself, but everyone that reads them of God's faithfulness. You might not see exactly how he's going to answer what you write down or what comes to the end of it, but I tell you what, someone's going to read it and it'll bless them one day. Can I tell you guys a quick story? All right. All right. When I was five years old, say five. Somebody stole my bike. Yeah, I know, right? It's really sad. Someone stole my bike when I was five years old. Here's the even sadder part. The way I won the bike, there was this weekend ministry where like 300 kids in an urban area, area would gather around. And at the end of six weeks, there was a drawing. All right, and, and, and whoever's name was called got to win this bike. Now, this is the awesome part. I won the bike. Isn't that pretty cool? Now, the bike was way too big for me. I couldn't ride it, but I looked cool with it. Uh, so cool, in fact, one day my cousin came over to my house and he said, hey, Sam, can I, can I borrow your bike real quick? And it was like I was giving him my car or something. I'm like, all right, take good care, take good care of it. What do you need to do? Don't take it out of third gear, you know. Uh, make sure you wash it, whatever. He's like, I just need to go up to the store. I'm going to get some, uh, some snacks. He goes up to the store, and I'm waiting outside of my house, waiting for him to ride back. And I see this man walking back with no bike. <gasps> no, 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 no. I tell you what, it was, it was such an emotional thing. But... I used to always tell this story, and, I, and only recently, my brother reminded me about the full story. So the way that I got the bike, my family, every night, it was common for us to gather together and pray. When I was five years old, I really wanted this bike, and my family, I didn't remember until like last week, my brother reminded me. He said, you don't know the full story. When you were five years old, for six weeks, everyone in our family was worried about you because you were praying that... You're praying for that bike. Every night you prayed for that bike is what he said. And he said, our entire family, we are thinking about ways to let you know, like, that God doesn't answer every prayer. They were trying to think about how to explain this to a five-year-old, this letdown. But guess what? The Lord provided. But I tell you what, with time, the devil has a way of robbing you of blessings. And without people in your life or things like this, you stepping out of faith and reminding yourself of God's faithfulness, that can happen, all right? So again, I just want to encourage you. If the Lord put anything on your heart these past two days or the rest of this week, to write it down, bless somebody, remind somebody of how good our God is, okay? Can we all say amen? amen. Awesome, let's continue in worship.
it is to be surrounded by the love of our Savior. His love is all we need. Now revealed in you. 
nothing compares to this What a beautiful name it is The name of
the king of my heart Be the mountain where I run The fountain I drink from Oh, he is my soul Let the king of my heart Be the shadow where I hide The ransom for my life Oh, he is my soul Cause you are good Just seeing standing at the side, 
everyone with their hands raised, shouting out to Jesus that you're never going to let us down. Not just this week, but when you go back to school in a few, few weeks, few months, when you get back to your city next week. He's not just with you at Mission Peoria. He's not going to let you down when you get back home. That this is just a launching pad for you guys. That what's happening right here can take you into the future at home. So as we sang that, can we do that again, just that last bit? We all want you to just raise the roof on this, guys. That he's not going to let you down. It goes with what we're talking about, about not being alone. You're not alone because he's not going to let you down. We've got to get it from our heads to our hearts that you may be on your own right now. You may feel like you're on your own, but guess what? You're not. He is with you. He is with you. Just let's sing it to the top of your voice. Let's go.
down and my wife called and said, there is a flood coming from the ceiling of our kitchen. And one of our pipes had blown in our house and had come through the kitchen and uh, it was as though everything had to stop pretty quick. And as I was driving with Ken out to the house to see what the damage was, I just kept thinking, the enemy is not having this. That what's going to happen and what is happening, God's going to get the victory. And and Friday night, uh, I'm going to be bringing a message that I really feel is going to bring everything together that we've been talking about this week. But the enemy is trying to stop everything that's going on. We've had a bit of a crazy day today. Even lunches not getting to places till 1.30 or 2 o'clock. We've never had that happen before. We know that the enemy is on the attack, but guess what that means? That means that Jesus is being glorified and lifted up in this city right now through you guys. Through you guys. So we're on the, the second night. Second night, we're still on the climb up, but sometimes when you get to Wednesday and Thursday, you start to get tired and you start to drop a little bit. Well, I'm asking you, every night of worship, you come in here ready to give everything you've got, to turn your ears on to hear what God may be saying to you. Because I'm telling you right now, the things that have come against us as a staff, as a band, as a tech team, everything that's gone on, we know we know that God is about to change your life forever if you are listening and if you're ready for it. Okay, so so what I want you to do is go back to your seats. We're going to carry on the service right now, but I need you to turn your ears on so that you can hear what God is wanting to say to you tonight. So as you're going back to your seat, I need you to listen up about something that's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow morning's going to be a little bit interesting. This has never happened before at Mission Peoria, um, but from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock, WMBD, the local TV station, is going to go live from Mission Peoria. So, so from 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 7.30, 8, 8.30, there are going to be live interviews going on from here and at the Dream Center. You guys are going to be around. We're going to take, take them down to the dining room. We'll go to the, where we launch everyone uh, on the buses. We'll be outside the, the sanctuary when devotion is going on. So we just want you to be aware. We don't want you clowning around in front of the camera, okay? Because we may be trying to get a message across and then there's Joey running across, pulling faces, and that just isn't what we want to do, okay? So tomorrow morning, be on your best behavior. The TV are coming, and we're going to go live from 7 to 9. Is that cool? That's cool. That's cool. Well, we want you to take your attention to the screen. If you can, we've got a couple of videos for you.
everyone, my name is Sydney Sterum and I'm a part of ACE Teams. So the reason why I joined ACE Teams was my best friend, who is also on ACE Teams, was accepted into ACE and told me and another one of our friends about it and was like, oh, you should do ACE Teams. Well, at the time, I was silly and I was like, no, I have many other responsibilities that I need to deal with first. Uh, then something at church happened and I just felt like I should try ACE Teams and so I decided to. Um, before ACE Teams started, I was hanging out with some bad influences. I wasn't properly following God and my family was even saying, uh, you don't really need to do this or you shouldn't. Uh, so that just kind of made me decide that I wanted to follow God and not follow what my family was saying. Ace Teams has been a whirlwind of emotions, laughing hysterically on some nights, crying way too much for comfort, and just ups and downs of everyday life. But even though that happened, Ace Teams was like honestly one of the best decisions of my life. Uh, God has shown me so many different aspects of my life that I didn't even imagine could happen. He showed me that I can break uh, the chains of my family. I can start living for myself, uh, not for what my family has been living for. I can make a new life for not only my future, but my future family. And ACMs has brought me many new friendships. Uh, this team has started. This team started off as just random people that I didn't know, other than my best friend, and they quickly turned into family. And not only did they turn into family, but they introduced me to some of their friends that will be lifelong friends from now until the end of my life, obviously. Uh, I would strongly encourage anybody that is wanting to do ACE teams or thinks that God is calling them to do ACE teams to come to me or any of the other ACE teamers that you see roaming around this week and just pull us aside and just talk to us about it. We would love to converse with you and just encourage you in any way, shape, and form of what you might want to do with your next step. Sid, where are you at? Stand up, Sid. Come on, I'm going to embarrass you. Give it up for Sid. Sid is one of our ace teamers, as you saw, and each night we're highlighting the ace teamers. This is their last week on ace teams, and their graduation is Sunday afternoon. If you want to come, you can, 2 o'clock at the Dream Center, and uh, they're going to be graduated this week, but we just again wanted to show you someone's life that has been changed by taking that step of faith and living it out for 10 months through ACE Teams. Well, tonight we are, we've got an amazing speaker for you. Uh, I met John, uh, it would have been about four years ago, three or four years ago, uh, when I was the youth pastor here at Riverside. And uh, I took the youth on at that time and I started to reach out to a lot of the youth pastors in the area. And John was one of the first guys that uh, met me at 3030 and we just started talking about youth ministry and how to reach a generation that's lost and how do we go after them and lead them to Jesus. And, and John uh, has got one of, the, uh, one of the hardest jobs, I think, in the city. Uh, he is a youth pastor at a fairly big church, a big church here in uh, Peoria, and his dad is the senior pastor, so we do relate a little bit on that score. And so tonight, I want to welcome 
in Mission Peoria for the first time. This is John Rickner. Mission Peoria, night two. How are you guys doing? Good? Good, 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 good. Hey, let me just say right up front, I got to sit over here and, and watch some of you guys worship. And can I just tell you, man, you guys inspire me. I'm, I'm, I'm like an old guy now. I know that in a lot of your eyes. You guys, it inspires me watching you guys get after it in worship. So just give it up for you guys right now because that's awesome. Love seeing young students just going after it in worship. Well, hey, like, like Andy said, my name is John. Uh, I do not have an English accent. Sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I'm a pastor here at another church in Peoria. And a little bit about me. I've been married for eight years. I have a picture of my family up here that I wanted to uh, show you if we can get that up on the screen. Maybe not. Maybe. There it is. There we go. All right. So it's, yeah, I know. That's, that's my family right there. On, on, the, on the very right, that's my daughter, Ariana. She's two years old. She's still learning how to smile with her eyes. She still does one of these. Uh, the ginger in the middle, that's me. Hey, any gingers in the house? Come on, come on. I, come on, put it up. There you go. Gingers, you got to know, if you're a ginger, you got to know you're not alone. I'm letting you know that. It's, it's a lonely life if you're a ginger. And then that in the middle is my six-month-old daughter, Joanna. And let me just tell you, there's a lot of ugly babies I've seen, but man, she is a cute baby. And then that is my wife, Michaela, on the end, my beautiful wife, Michaela. And I know what some of you are thinking, because I've had people asking me before, John, like, how did you end up with her? Like, you know, she's like major leagues. You're like single A, double A, maybe. I'm like, geez, at least give me triple A or something. I, and I just say, you know what? I don't really know. Lord works in mysterious ways. And uh, here's what I'll just tell you guys. If there was hope for me, there's hope for you. So yeah, amen to that, right? Amen to that. Well, hey, when I talked uh, with Andy, a while back, and he shared that the theme of this week was not alone. I started praying about what the Lord would have me say, and you know, as I was praying about that, I felt the Lord really put it on my heart to talk about shame. Because I know in, in my own life that shame, my journey with shame started when I was in middle school. There's some of you guys in here. It started when I was young. And I know if there was anything that made me feel as if I was so alone, it was shame. So we're going to talk about shame tonight, but before we do, you just pray with me, just bow your head. So Lord, again, man, I just thank you for tonight. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this room. I pray that you would speak through me, Holy Spirit. And I just pray if there's any places in our life where shame has just kept us in hiding and we feel so alone. Lord, I would just, I just pray you would, you would speak to our hearts tonight and remind us that we are who you say we are. We are not who shame says we are, but we are who you say we are. And so I thank you for that. I pray you'd speak, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it was the spring of 2013, and I was enjoying a relaxing Monday off. As a pastor, I take Mondays off, and I was doing some reading reading a book that explored some of the things that, that live in our hearts, such as pride, greed, anger, guilt. And as I began reading this chapter 
on guilt and how to rid yourself of guilt through confessing your sins to God. I remember something came over me and I started, tears started to well up in my eyes. And I broke down right there in my living room. And I began to cry because I was coming to grips with the fact that no amount of confessing my sin to God had removed, had changed how I felt about myself. In other words, I wasn't dealing with guilt. I was dealing with shame. See, the difference is this. Guilt is something we feel because of something we have done. Shame is something we feel because we just believe that we are bad. And you see, in 2011, when I stepped into full-time ministry, occasionally out of nowhere, I would be reminded of thoughts that I had as a middle school student, thoughts that I entertained. Didn't actually act them out, but thoughts that were in my head. Thoughts that now, as an adult, I was extremely, extremely ashamed of. And I began to believe if anyone knew the thoughts I had as a middle schooler, I would be rejected and I'll be disqualified from being used by God. Which led me to the conclusion that I had no business standing up in front of people and telling them about Jesus. Because I knew at the core, I'm just a warped, messed up, screwed up person who's not good enough because of the thoughts I had. And so ultimately, I ended up spending several years of my life walking around believing that I had no hope of ever getting rid of the shame that I felt, but also feeling incredibly alone in my shame. Let me ask you, you ever been there? Ever entertained sinful thoughts or maybe acted out a sin or sinned in a way that's caused you to feel so alone because you believe if anyone knew what you were thinking or what you did, you would be rejected. Ever been there? Ever asked God for forgiveness of that sin, but found that no amount of confessing your sin to him has taken away the feeling that there's just something wrong with you? That that just, oh, you're just messed up. You're just a terrible person. Ever been there? In other words, have you ever dealt with shame? Well, my guess is every one of us listening today has dealt with it or is dealing with it at this very moment. Because to be human is to experience shame on some level. And here's how I know that. Because if we go all the way back to the very beginning, the very beginning of time, we find that the very first two humans ever created, Adam and Eve, dealt with shame. So tonight, I want you to turn with me in your Bible, if you have your Bible with you, back to the beginning, Genesis, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. Now, if you don't have your Bible with you, it'll be up on the screen, but we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, all right? So at the end of Genesis chapter 2, we have reached the culmination of creation. Everything has been created, everything's good, everything is as it was intended, God has created man and woman, Adam and Eve, it's all good. And look at what Genesis 2, verse 25 says. This is the last verse in chapter 2. It says, the man and his wife were both naked. Whoa. Hello. (laughs) And then it says, 
and they felt no shame. You know, when I read the Bible, I don't know about you, but when I read that, it makes me wonder if the author of Genesis could have chosen any words or phrase to describe their emotional state in that moment, why no shame? I mean, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I, I probably would have said uh, the man and his wife were both naked and uh, they were excited. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, maybe I would have said that the man and his wife were naked and they were extremely comfortable. They were both naked and unafraid. But why, this is my question, why the emphasis on no shame? Well, I think, as we'll find, I think one of the reasons is because the author is foreshadowing what is to come in Genesis chapter 3. You know, many Bible scholars call Genesis chapter 3 the pivot of the Bible. Because before chapter 3, we find perfection. After chapter 3, you see sin enter. You see lying, anger, murder, stealing, wickedness, and you see shame make its way onto the scene. The Bible pivots in chapter 3. So Genesis 2 ends with no shame. Now, we're going to pick up the story a few verses later in verse 6 of chapter 3. Now, a little bit of context. In between the end of chapter 2, no shame, and verse 6, we're introduced to the serpent comes on the scene, the enemy, the devil. And the Bible says that he is crafty. Now understand, not crafty in the sense like my two-year-old daughter who likes making crafts. Crafty in the sense that his intent is to deceive. He comes on to the scene. Maybe you've heard the story before. He, de- he deceives Eve into eating from the tree that God has said not to eat from. So he deceives her and look at what happens in verse 6. Of chapter 3, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. So here we are. Eve has been deceived, and they have just done what God expressly told them not to do. Which might lead some of us to question, why is God always telling people not to do stuff? Well, that's a whole other message in itself, but just, this is something that I remember I was told as a, as, a, as, a, as a young student, and it stuck with me, and I'll just tell you this, and you might want to write this down, that every no from God is really his provision and his protection. You might not understand that now at this age, but as you live longer, you're going to understand that every no from God is really his provision and his protection. That's a whole other message in itself, just something to keep in mind. So Adam and Eve eat from the tree, and then look what happens in verse 7. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So all of a sudden their eyes are opened, they realize they are naked. I sometimes wonder, how, how did that go? Like, all of a sudden, you just realize you're naked? Like, whoa. Now, Bob doesn't tell us how that went. But we do know, as soon as their eyes were open, that shame makes its way onto the scene. 
You see, one of the hallmarks of shame is that it separates. It drives us into isolation. Shame causes us to hide. And what do Adam and Eve do? Immediately, all of a sudden, they start hiding parts of themselves behind fig leaves. Shame is causing them to hide from one another. But the hiding doesn't stop there. Look what what happens in verse 8. Verse 8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So now, not only are they hiding from each other, now they're hiding from the very person who created them. They are hiding from God. Why? Because they feel shame. And so they hide from each other and from God. Two quick observations, or one quick observation I I see in this story. It appears that Satan is going to leverage shame to keep us in hiding from the two things we need most in this life, as God and other people. Shame is gonna, uh, Satan is going to leverage shame in your life to keep you in hiding from the two things he knows you need most, God and other people. And the problem is, I found that more often than not, we, like our first parents, Adam and Eve, tend to think that the way to find freedom and healing from shame is just to hide. And then we wonder, why do I feel so alone? But here's the truth I'm praying that God will drill into all of our hearts. And it's this. Hiding in our shame will never bring healing to our soul. Hiding in our shame will never bring healing to our soul. So here's the question I believe we need to get at tonight. How do we make the journey from hiding to healing? How do we do that? Now, before we get into a few practical steps today, let me just say two things up front. Number one, I'm operating tonight from the viewpoint that when it comes to a shameful mistake, I'm assuming that we've already gone to God for forgiveness. Because you see, it's been my experience that many times we go to God and ask forgiveness for what we've done, and the confusion comes when the shame doesn't leave. So I'm assuming you've started with going to God for forgiveness. But if you haven't done that, then of course, that's where the journey to healing starts. That's the first thing. Number two is this. While the focus of what I'm saying tonight is on the shame of something we have done, understand it's also true that we can feel deep shame from something someone has done to us. Shame can work both ways. So understand, while I'm talking about shameful mistakes, these steps that I'm about to give you are still effective when the shame is the result of something done to you. So how do we make the journey from hiding to healing. First step is this, face the truth. Face the truth. Healing begins when we face the truth. See, I found in my own life that when it comes to shame, we'll do everything we can do to try and stuff it down 
and just try and forget about it. Because we think, well, if I just stuff it down far enough and if I just don't think about it, I'll forget about it and it's going to go away. Because we don't want to go through it. And so we end up lying to ourselves, deceiving ourselves into believing that if we can just forget about it, it'll go away. But what did Jesus say in the book of John? He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now understand, when we talk about truth in this verse, Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He is the truth. God's word is the truth. And Jesus is saying it's in holding to him and his word that we find freedom from sin and its effects on us. But as a broader application, I can also say that personal change always, always begins with the truth. See, we're never going to experience freedom from shame and healing in our soul without being honest and truthful with ourselves about what we're feeling. Cannot just bury shame and expect it to go away. Reminds me of a, uh, a story many of us had to, some of you probably read in literature class. Anyone read the, had to read The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe? All right, a few of you. All right, if I, I remember back, I, I was never a big fan of Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, to be honest, I was never really a fan of literature class. Is that okay if I say that? But um, huh, I was never really a fan of Edgar Allan Poe because the dude's writing is just dark. I'm just sitting in class, I'm like, why are we reading this? I don't even want this in my head. So I don't remember what much of what we read of Edgar Allan Poe, but I do remember the telltale heart and the discussion that followed in class. If you remember, if you've read it, it's a short story told from the perspective of the narrator who tells about a murder he committed and how he hid the remains of the body underneath the floorboards of his house. And if you remember, in the story, the narrator brags about how good of a job he did hiding the remains. He says this. He says, I replaced the boards so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye could have detected anything wrong. In other words, the narrator has deceived himself into thinking that if he just, if he just buries his sin and his shame, the shame that comes with it, deep enough, neatly enough, no one's ever going to notice, and it'll never bother him again. But if you've read the story, you know that's not the case. For soon after he's replaced the floorboards, he starts to hear uh, what he, he, the sound of a beating heart, which he believes is to be the, the, the beating heart of the dead man in the floor. When I'm reading it, I'm thinking like, you're an idiot. How would a dead man's heart be beating, dude? That was me in literature class. And the longer the narrator tries to ignore the sounds, the louder and louder the beating gets. Till eventually it gets to the point where the narrator can stand it no more. And the story closes with this line. It closes with the narrator yelling, I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here is the beating of this man's heart. And I can still remember discussing that story 
in literature class and hearing that what's ironic about the story is that the narrator thinks the beating heart he's hearing is is the heart in the floor when the reality is the beating heart he can't ignore is his overwhelming sense of what he's just done the sin and the shame that comes with it and isn't it interesting that the only way the narrator sees out is facing the truth he says tear up the planks i admit it now i don't know about edgar Allan poe and his spiritual condition but i do know this he was on to something here you cannot bury your shame and just expect it to go away cannot do it but how many of us tonight are doing that exact same thing and deceiving ourselves into thinking well if i just if I just, you know, don't talk about it, just try to forget about it, it's going to go away. Let me tell you, I tried that for several years of my life, only to find out that it came back stronger at a later date in my life. Right when I stepped into ministry. And I love how Satan just always brought it back at the most opportune times and continued to leverage shame against me to keep me from stepping out and being everything I could be for God. So let me ask you, are you burying your shame in the hopes that it's just going to go away? Is that you? Can I just tell you, if you are, You are deceiving yourself. It's the truth that leads to freedom and healing. And so if we're going to come out from hiding and to experience healing, it starts when we face the truth. That's step one. Step two is this. We must confess to others. So face the truth and then confess to others. And let me just be straight up honest with you. This might be the hardest step of all. You see, we saw earlier that the natural inclination when it comes to shame is to hide and to isolate ourselves. So understand, most of shame's power resides in its ability to isolate us from others and from God. And Andy said, he's told you my dad is a pastor. I love what my, I've grown up listening to my dad. I love what he always would say. He would always say, God can't heal what we won't reveal. God can't heal what we won't reveal. So if we're going to experience healing, we must confess to others. That's why the book of James says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, when we confess our sin to God, we experience forgiveness. But when we confess our sins to each other, we experience healing. That's emotional healing. I started tonight by sharing some of my struggles with shame and believing that I wasn't good enough because of thoughts I had as a middle school student. And it wasn't until I realized that I could no longer deal with the the shame that I decided I have to confess this to somebody. And for me, that was my dad. I can still remember the day 
I was living in Galesburg at the time. I was uh, a youth pastor at our church has a campus over there. And um, I was in my backyard and I called my dad and I just said, dad, you know what? I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, I, I feel really, really shameful for some of the thoughts that I had as a middle school student. And dad, I don't really know what to do with it. But I can't hold this in anymore. And so you know what? I'm just going to lay it all out there. And dad, I don't even care if this disqualifies me from ministry. I don't care anymore. But I can't continue to live with this. And so I just laid it all out there to my dad. And I will never forget. On the end of that line. My dad kind of said in his dad voice. Didn't call me Johnny. He was Jonathan. I was like, what's about to say? said, Jonathan, I want you to know that you're not screwed up. It's okay. God still loves you. You're not disqualified from being used by God. You're not disqualified from ministry. And Jonathan, I want to tell you this. I've never told you this before. But everything you just described, the thoughts you had, I had and I struggled with the exact same thoughts when I was that age. I was like, what? But you're a pastor. How could that be? And right there, in my backyard, we spent some time praying through some stuff in our family. But the moment I came out of hiding and confessed to someone, the shame that was crippling me was broken. And here's why. When I confessed my stuff to my dad, I realized two things. Number one, I wasn't rejected. I was not rejected. See, part of what drives the hiding is we're afraid if people knew the shameful stuff, the parts of us, they're going to reject us and abandon us. So we just stay in hiding. But when I confessed my stuff to someone else, it allowed me to realize that I wasn't rejected. Second thing I realized was this I wasn't alone. See, it's such a lie of the enemy when it comes to our junk that we're the only ones that deal with it. You heard that before? It's like, oh, yeah, 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 you, you, you're the only one who's ever dealt with that. I mean, you're just, you're out there. I mean, there's people that have done some stuff, but man, you're the only one. No one else has ever messed up in the way that you've done. No one else ever had the thoughts you had. It's only you. You're the only one. That's such a lie of the enemy. But when I confessed, I realized because of my dad's courage to be honest with me, that I wasn't alone. Shame's power was broken when I confessed to someone else. Now, I want to slow down here for just a minute because there's something important we need to understand. It's extremely important that we have wisdom and discernment around who we share our stuff with. You don't just share your stuff with anyone. We confess to safe people. So a couple of ground rules. Guys, that means you share your stuff with guys. Girls, you share your stuff with girls. Who are some safe people? Well, I should say number one on your list should be your parents. I'd say there's probably no one in this world who loves you more than your parents. Now, I get it. The reality is that there are some of us who maybe don't have that relationship with our parents. And I'm so sorry. If that's you, you know what? A safe person would probably, another safe person is your leader. 
the people who came with you, your youth pastor, your leaders, those are safe people. You might ask, okay, well, what are, what are some of the things I should look for in safe people? Let me just give you a couple. Safe people are going to embody 1 Corinthians 13. That's the love chapter of the Bible. Read it. Look for those qualities. That's a safe person if you find those qualities. Safe people are those that have experienced pain and understand it. Understand that safe people are usually going to be further down the road in their journey than you are. And understand that safe people rarely seek attention or the limelight. Look for safe people and understand the safe circle is not a large one. I've come to find you're probably very blessed if we have four or five safe people in our life. And listen, guys, if this isn't a testimony to why we need the church, I don't know what is. The church isn't just something that pastors made up. This is God's plan. We need each other. I don't know where you're going to find life-giving relationships outside the body of Christ. Let's be honest, there's some of you that have come, you're here, and you're like, Mission Pure, it's awesome, but you know when you get home, you don't really have plans to continue going to your youth group. But let me just tell you, you need the people in your youth group. You need those people. You need to be plugged into your church. Because again, that's where you're going to find life-giving relationships, and we all need that. We all need that. So you want to experience healing from shame? face the truth and it requires that you confess to others and the last thing is this step three is this resist the devil the first two steps are a large portion of the journey from hiding to healing but the last thing it's last step this is how we hang on to the healing so you're going to find that after you face the truth and you've confessed to others the enemy doesn't just give up he doesn't say oh okay well you're honest about how you're feeling and you confess to someone, so I guess I have to leave you alone now. Won't mess with you anymore. It's not how it works. He's going to keep coming at you. The devil is persistent. And let me just say, if, if the devil, if, if, the, if Satan is persistent, then we must be resistant. Several places in the Bible, when it comes to Satan and his attacks, we're told to resist Look at what it says in Peter. It says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. How do we resist him? Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. We don't run from the devil. We resist the devil how do we do that it says stand firm in the faith we resist the devil by standing firm with our brothers and sisters but we also resist the devil by standing on the word of God and refusing to be moved it's kind of like this one of the things I love about my two-year-old daughter is that even at two years old, that, that two-year-old girl at the end had the smile up there at the end, all right? Even at two years old, she has learned that one of the ways that, that she resists her fears is she repeats out loud what mom and dad 
have told her. So, for example, this year at Christmas, we got Ariana a trampoline, a little mini trampoline. She loves, she's active, you know, she loves running around. She loved this thing. So we got this trampoline, and I had put it out in the living room, and I walked out in the living room one day to catch her midair, jumping off the arm of the couch onto this trampoline, and then flying right next to this big stone fireplace hearth. And I was like, that's it, that thing's going downstairs. I'm not trying to have you die, all right? She hasn't broken any bones yet, so keep praying for her. But I took the trampoline downstairs. And I started taking her downstairs to jump on the trampoline. And I'll never forget the day she was down there. She's jumping. She's like, look at me, Daddy. <laughs> I'm jumping. And all of a sudden, she noticed her shadow on the wall. And she pulled one of these. I'm just like... Yeah. And she went from, it's kind of funny, she went from being curious of it to being actually really scared of it. So much so that she didn't want to jump on the trampoline anymore. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm the dad, I got to fix this. So I'm like, Ariana, come here. Come here, I know you're two years old, but listen, here's the science behind a shadow, okay? You know, the lights, they're coming from over here. They're hitting you, and it's throwing a shadow on the wall, okay? So it's really just the lights, and you, it's nothing to be afraid of. And my wife's like, John, she's two years old. She doesn't need a scientific explanation. So we pulled her aside, and, she, and I love my wife. She just said, you know what, Ariana, we don't have to be scared of our shadow. It's okay. Mommy's got you, and Daddy's got you. It's okay. You don't have to be scared. Mommy's got you. Daddy's got you. So we would, keep, we would keep drilling this into her, keep drilling this into her. And I remember one day I took her down there to that trampoline again. And it would always take a few minutes before she recognized her shadow again. And she'd quit. And she was jumping. She's pulling this. She sees her shadow. She stops and she stares at it. And I'll never forget I'm in the basement with her. And she looks over at me and says... Don't have to be scared. It's okay. Daddy's got you. I'm like, yeah, you got it. I got you, right? I got you. It's okay. And she went back to jumping. And it's actually really funny because this is all the time now. My wife has told me several times where she'll take Ariana into a public restroom. They're really gross. And the seat is a lot bigger than her little seat at home. And she'll be sitting there holding on going, Mommy's got you. Don't have to be scared. I think I, yeah, and, and you know, the, the hand dryer, she's kind of afraid of the hand dryers in the bathroom because they're so loud, and sitting there, mommy's got you, Teddy's got you, don't have to be scared. I love it, and, and, and here's what she's doing. Ariana is learning to resist what she's scared of, resist her fears by repeating back what mom and dad have said. And in a similar fashion, the way we resist the enemy is by saying out loud, standing on what Dad has said, what the Heavenly Father has said. You hear me? So listen, when he comes at you and says, you, 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 know, you, know, who, you know what you've done, you just sit down, you ain't good enough, 
You know, just, just forget it. No one's been as bad as you. When he comes at you with those lies, if you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't know what your dad said, let me just remind you tonight, when you start hearing those things, you say, oh, no, 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 I rebuke that in the name of Jesus Christ. I know what my dad has said. What, what, what are some of the things your dad, your heavenly father has said? Well, he said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He said there's nothing that can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. He said his grace is sufficient for me and his power is made perfect in my weakness. He said I'm called, I'm chosen, I'm adopted. And he said the good work you began in me, he's going to bring to completion. Come on, somebody. You... Stand on that. You stand on his word. That's what your dad says about you. Your heavenly father says about you. Let me tell you, your dad's got you. Your heavenly father's got you. And listen, again, this, this is huge because a lot of times I was your age, you know, I think, ah, why would I read the Bible? Listen, how are you going to stand in those times if you don't know what God says who you, about who you are? i got to get in God's Word because I have to know what He says about me. Because when the enemy comes at me, man, you've got to stand on what God says about you. You are not who shame says you are. You are none other than the child of God. You are none other than who God says you are. So... In closing, I just want to leave you with this one thought. I said at the beginning, hiding in our shame will never bring healing to our soul. Are you tired of hiding in your shame? Let me ask you, if you are, what is your first step? Maybe for some of you, you know what, I, I just got to face what I'm feeling some of you, you know what? It's, it's you need to confess to a safe person. You know, some of us just need to get in God's word a little more and say, you know what? I, I have to know what God says about me. Whatever that step is, whatever that step looks like for you, I'm just praying that you continue. You'll start to take a step out of that place of hiding so you can experience healing in your soul. So let me pray for you. So God, again, I just thank you for every single one of these students. I thank you that you love them. I thank you that you have a plan for them, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done. And I thank you that we are who you say we are. We are not who shame says we are. We are who you say we are. And Lord, I just pray that this week you would just remind us again and again who we are in your eyes. And Lord, I just pray that you give these students courage that if there's a place where they've just been hiding in their shame, I pray you'd give them courage to start taking that journey and realize that they're not alone and to start taking steps on that journey so they can get to that place where they just feel, man, I'm completely, God, just bring healing to my soul. And so, God, I just pray that over every single one of these students, I pray that you continue to work in their lives in incredible ways this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
Well, John talked about the confession part, and so we're going to go into youth group time right now. We're going to get you into your youth group so that you can talk this out a little bit. And so here's what's going to happen. If you first are just here to enjoy the night from the public that aren't part of the youth groups or anything, this is the time we're going to ask you to be dismissed um, because the youth, all the kids are going to go to different areas of this building to, to talk through what they've gone through. Is, is, is that all right? So if you're part of the public, we'll be here tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. You don't want to miss tomorrow night. One of my best friends from Ohio is going to be here. All the youth groups, stay seated if you are, if you are not visiting for tonight. Okay, I need to go through where you are going to be going, okay? Where you are going to be going. So youth leaders, pastors, please uh, listen up. Okay. So if you are with um, Community Covenant from Kansas, you're going to be down, downstairs in the dining room Uh, go to the left side. So if you're looking where you get the food, go to the left side, okay? Um, Community youth, uh, you guys are going to be up in the balcony on the left side. So if you're looking at the stage, go to the left side, all right? Cross point, we want you up in the balcony on the right side. Up in the balcony on the right side. If you're looking at the stage on the right. Dream Center, Riverside and PCS, uh, you are going to be staying right here, okay? And Michael is going to break you up. First Baptist in Pekin, you guys are going to go into the merch section where the merchandise is that room. Do not steal anything. We know you guys. Only kidding. First United, First United Methodist, we are going to have you go out these doors and in this corridor, okay? So First United Methodist from across the street, you're going to be right by reaction in this corridor. Just go through this door here, okay? Grace Prez, we want you downstairs in the lobby outside of the dining room, okay? Outside of the dining room, that's Grace Prez. Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro, you're going to go up one flight of stairs from the lobby where the leader's lounge is. Uh, It's called Connecting Point. You're going to go there, okay, that area. And uh, don't eat all the snacks. (laughs) Okay, Richwoods, you're going downstairs to the dining room to the right, to the right. Does everyone know where you're going? Chris, if you can help Riverside's guys, that'd be great. Okay, let's move quickly, guys. Showers will be at 9.30, 9.45. So you need to be doing around 9.30, okay? Okay.